It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 20th, 2012. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me as usual. To my right, Dad, welcome to the program. Jacob, thanks. Great to be with you tonight. Beautiful beautiful weather in Tennessee and a great time to be together for some Bible study over the Internet. And we hope it's beautiful weather where you are, and it is definitely a good time to study God's Word, and we're glad that you're with us on the program tonight. Monty joins us behind the controls. We're glad that you're here, Monty. Looking forward to your comments as well. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. And uh, we're looking for your comments as well at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And if you're in the uh, watching us live tonight, the chat room to the right of your video window is open. Some new names in there, and we're glad that you're here. And we look forward uh, to you joining the the program tonight. As we have an interesting topic, I don't know. I'm not feeling good about this topic. Are you are you sick or, or are you just disgusted? I'm, I, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe you can help. Maybe this topic will help me feel better. All right, we're going to talk about for want of a better general topic. When I put out our update list today, I called it medical ethics. Uh-huh. And you know, I I'm, I know that doctors and so forth as they're studying their course of studies, right. they they are trained in some things that they refer to as medical ethics. So that may not be the best or most fitting description of what we want to talk about. We want to talk about some questions related to medical things that have impact on us as we're trying to do the will of God. There's moral questions involved in dealing with medical situations. That's the kind of thing that we want to talk about today. All right, 877-381-4567, question at collegeview.com. Questions at collegeview.com are the, the ways you participate tonight. Yeah, and so earlier today to our update list, I sent out the topic that we wanted to discuss. I called it medical ethics, as I just described. Basically, what we're saying is there have been some, some pretty significant advances in medicine, certainly some advances in technology that medical people employ that can prolong life, that can, you know, change things. You know, uh, a person that 100 years ago would have been dead on the spot can be saved uh, from death or maybe artificially his life can be prolonged in some way or another. And so it has raised some questions. Doctors have to deal with them, but I believe as Christians uh, we have to deal with them as well. So here are the questions I sent out. If you're not on our update list, you can be by... Uh, simply sending us a message to questions at college. These are some uh, good questions, and I think uh, everyone should uh, be interested in these. Yeah, here's what we sent out. You don't really have any real ringers in here. These are all good. Well, these are important ones, I think. Number one, is it a sin to take medicine? Okay. Specifically, is it wrong to take medicine to relieve pain? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's question one. Number two, in the case of a terminal illness or a devastating injury, what measures should or must we take to prolong? To prolong life. Okay. Uh, and then as a follow-up to that, is mercy killing or euthanasia ever justified? Okay. Uh, number three, would it be right to withhold information from a loved one about their terminal condition? Dear old mom has got cancer. They say she's only got three months to live, but yes. we just can't bring ourselves to tell her about it. Yes. You know, oh, so, so we just tell her, oh, well, you're going to be fine. You're yeah. going to be fine. Don't worry. The doctor don't, said don't worry, Granny. Everything, you're going to be good. The doctor said you're fine. Okay. So that kind of thing. What about that? Yeah. And then number four, is it proper for doctors, nurses, and caregivers to see one's nakedness? Uh-huh. I think that's a real practical question. Yes. I mean, you're going to go You're going to go to the doctor sometime or another, and, right. and he's going to tell you, well, first, the, the nurse, even before you see the doctor, say, well, take all your clothes off. Right. Get up on the table. Right. Can I do that as a Christian? That's a good question. So I think that's I, – I, we take it sort of for granted, but I think we, we need to ask the question, is that a reasonable right. thing? Right. Okay. All right. So those are the questions that we want to talk about in our 
uh, in our study tonight. It's good that you put the one about medicine first, because our listeners probably going to have to have some aspirin after, as we get along in this program. It may be painful. It causes okay. headaches. All right. All right. Let's talk about this question. First question, is it a sin to take medicine in general? And specifically, what about painkillers? You know, Jacob, there are some groups that believe it is wrong to take yes. medicine. Right. And every once in a while you hear in the news about some one of their followers that's gotten in trouble. You know, maybe they, Especially maybe they've got a child that's sick that needs medical treatment, but they believe that it's wrong to receive medical treatment. So, so maybe some court will order them to, to treat the child. Uh, in, and, and then there have been cases of parents who wouldn't do it, and if the child died, they've been charged with homicide because they didn't give their child uh, the, the medical treatment that was uh, proposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about that? There are some well-known denominations that follow that kind of thing, like the, the uh, Christian, Christian scientists. scientists. Yes. There are other smaller individual groups that do that. Uh, some groups have qualms about certain things. For instance, Jehovah's Witnesses believe it's wrong to take a blood transfusion. Right. So what about all of that? Some argue that uh, to treat our ailments, anything more than faith and prayer uh, is is wrong, that it's a sin, that it shows a lack of faith, that if I say, well, I'm going to pray that my sick child gets well, but I want to take him to the doctor too, that, that's, that, that shows a lack of faith in prayer. Uh, so what about that? That's the question. Well, it's interesting uh, about going to a doctor, and uh, Lance has an interesting comment in the chat room. He said, God gave us doctors and even said people who aren't sick don't need a physician. That was Jesus said that. Uh, uh, so Jesus didn't have a problem with physicians. Um, so that's an interesting place well, to that, start that, the discussion. That's a starting place, I yeah. think. Uh, in, in fact, if, if I was going to uh, make some arguments in answer to the question, I one of the arguments I would make is that I don't think that we see a condemnation in the Bible, and we even see the Bible using medicine and physicians in favorable figures of speech. Okay. Uh, so first of all, what about this idea that there's no condemnation in the Bible? The Bible doesn't say not to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that someone, if we're not careful, someone could charge us with an inconsistency, right. Jacob. You know, when we study the instrumental music question, we say that the, the Bible doesn't say not to argument doesn't work. You know, we say in the New Testament, we read of Christians singing, mm-hmm. not playing instruments. Mm-hmm. Someone who believes in playing instruments and worship God will almost always say, well, the Bible doesn't say not to. Right. Well, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't say not to. What we're, The argument we're making there is that when God has specified one thing, it excludes other things. Yes. Now, in regards to to seeking medical attention from a doctor, God never specified an exclusive way to pursue physical health-related issues. You know, he never said, you must only pray and never do anything else. I think we'll see as we study the Bible that that there's an implication that we would do other things to to guard or or restore our health. So what you're saying is the Bible doesn't... Blake doesn't uh, directly condemn it. So that's a starting point. That's a starting point. The door's not closed, but it's not open yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, so I guess it would be. Uh, now, furthermore, we could go back to the Old Testament, I think. Jacob, you kind of watch that uh, chat room and see yeah. if there's other yeah. comments that we need to, to, to bring in. In the Old Testament times, again, we know we live under the New Testament. We're not uh, we're not using the Old Testament as our religious authority today, but we certainly learn from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, the law of Moses clearly reflected certain principles of conduct that were designed to protect health. There's a guy named, this is an old book, uh, R, Dr. R.V. Bingham wrote a book called The Bible and the Body. And in it, he, he referenced laws in the Old Testament that were designed to protect physical health. Uh, He identified sanitation, sterilization, uh, uh, hygiene and uh, dietetics. Quarantine. Quarantine and times for recuperation. So he he identified several things that were were in the law of Moses. Codified in the law of Moses that we would now identify as things that were meant to protect health. Right. 
Now, they were, they were to do it as, a, as an act of obedience to God, but it seems that in God's wisdom, he had given them insights, or he'd given them laws that, that their understanding of medicine would not have uh, identified. Yes. We would identify them today, but they would not have back then. But God, in his wisdom, knew them, of course, and then and put them into their law in order to protect their physical health. Okay. So, for instance, uh, the idea of sterilization or quarantine. Uh that was their law. If we do that today, are we not? No, in other words, if you've got a sick kid, but my kid is not sick. Oh. I'm saying don't bring your kid around my kid because I don't want my kid to get sick with what your kid has got. But your kid gave it to my kid. <laughs> but but we, we, we practice that almost as right. an act of common sense. Is, right. it, is it a lack of faith on our part when we say, well, I'm going to really, I'm going to try to keep my child away from some other sick children because I don't want them to get sick. Yeah. Are we, are we saying, well, I don't have the faith that God will protect me and my children? No, he, yeah, he, you're you're yeah. employing good common sense, yeah, the kind of thing that God instructed the, the people in the Old Testament times to do. Right. Okay. So I don't think I don't think it can be criticized as a lack of faith. Right. Um, Go ahead, Bonnie. I, I don't think it's necessarily a lack of faith to use the knowledge uh, that God has enabled us to have today about how infections or diseases and how they're spread. He's given us that knowledge, and we've learned those kind of things. So it's not a lack of faith in God to say, I'm not going to take my children around these sick children because I don't want them to get sick too. It might be an an exercise of faith in God that he's shown us how things function and how they work, and we understand that they're going to work that way because God's in control, and that's how he set it up. So we're exercising faith by not taking our children around those sick children because we know that God has established uh, laws of nature, so to speak, and this is how it works. So we're, we believe that he set it up that way, and it's going to work that way, so we're going to follow those it laws. Did, we, didn't, we didn't need a team of doctors to study it for 50 or 25 mm-hmm. years to tell us you, you ought to keep your kids away from ones that's sick. God told us how to do that in the law of Moses. All right. Uh, a gospel preacher I know named Bill Cruz. He's out in the uh, Kansas City area now. Uh, I've read an article from him one time when he mentioned Bible products, the Bible mentioning products that were used for medicinal purposes, of course, without being called sinful. Mm-hmm. Uh, aloe, anise, balm of Gilead, caperberry, cumin, figs, fitches, gall, mandrake, myrrh, ointment, olive oil, Rue, saffron, and wine, hmm. all used as medicine in Bible times, with, again, without condemnation. Okay. No, well, never, they, never you're building it. a case here, then, that makes us believe it would be okay to take medicine. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, sort of along the lines of what Lance mentioned in the chat room, the Bible mentions certain things by way of illustration or figures of speech uh, that suggest medicine and physicians are a good thing. Uh, for instance, uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus answering said to them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Mm-hmm. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay. So when he was talking to some self-righteous Pharisees who didn't think they needed anything, Jesus said, Well, if you don't think you need anything, then you then I can't, I can't help you. Yeah. The, the physical people, parallel. People who realize they are sick are the ones who are looking for a physician. Basically, is the point that Jesus was yeah. making to them. But implied in that is that Jesus was suggesting it's the right thing to do. Right. He, he wouldn't use a wrong thing to illustrate a right truth. Right. So I, I believe that you can see that in there. Okay. Uh, looking in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22. Jeremiah 8, verse 22. There, there is no balm in Gilead. Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Now, again, Jeremiah was using that as an illustration. Right. He, he's talking about the spiritual. They need some balm that wasn't they couldn't get in Gilead. Yeah, they they were spiritually sick. Yeah, but he's using a, a figure of speech or an illustration there that again you'd have to say he's not he understands that to be a right thing. Sick people seek yeah. a physician. Right. And and he's saying my people Israel need to seek a physician they're sick and, okay. and there's and there's no medicine there that's going to call, solve their problems all right eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeview.com are the ways you join in the the, the uh, discussion tonight 
Well, we also have a parable that Jesus uh, referenced uh, that uh, talked about some medicine. Go ahead. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Right. Yeah, he put in uh, oil and wine to, to, the, to the, the man's the man wounds. The who had been wounded yeah. by the robbers and left yeah. for dead. Yeah. He treated him. He didn't just, I guess the thing to, to really emphasize, that he didn't just pray over him. Right. He didn't just say, well, God help this man get well. He did some things, uh, applied some physical techniques, medicinal techniques, the kind that they had available to him in that time. He used those to help the man overcome his injury. Okay. All right. Well, let's quickly take a break, and uh, we'll continue the discussion on the other side. I think there's some more definitive even arguments that you can make. You've been building this case, but I don't think you've, you, you haven't gotten to the real Real All right, let's look, let's, let's look for some more arguments when we come back from this Look break. for your arguments as well. Can we take medicine? Can we go to a doctor? 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Do you remember when no one would have thought twice about getting the church involved in daycare centers, kindergartens, softball leagues, and youth camps? Are you upset when churches spend more time and money on social programs and recreational activities than on spreading the gospel? Are you tired of seeing congregations with their emphasis in entirely the wrong areas? The College View Church is still preaching the same gospel and practicing the same things that you remember from years ago. They're committed to the idea of speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. Check them out. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. Always do your best. What you plant now, you will harvest later. Determine never to be idle. It is wonderful how much may be done if we are always doing. It's always too early to quit. Man, I wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we welcome you back on the virtual Bible study tonight. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a call here from uh, Larry in Columbia. Let me get Larry hooked up, Dad. If you want to go ahead and go on. Okay, we've been talking about whether or not. It seems like we're a little hot there, Jacob. Uh, yes, we are. Seems that we've been talking about uh, uh, whether it's right to take medicine or see doctors to pursue things to help our physical health, and we've been sort of building a case, which the conclusion that we're drawing is yes, that we think that we can. We haven't found anything in the Bible yet that would condemn it. We still need to sort of establish a positive argument for authority, but uh, maybe we need to go to this phone call. And, Larry, uh, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Are you there, Larry? Well, let's see. We may have, let's see. Larry may have, uh, we may have lost Larry. So go ahead. Larry, are you there? Larry, if you're you're listening, uh, we've lost your call. Call us back. Okay. All right. We'll he, to get all right. He had an answer to something that was asked in the chat room, so he was calling about that. Okay. So, Larry, we welcome you to call back if you. If all you right. We, we're getting some off-topic comments in the chat room. Uh, uh, we try to we try to stay on topic, uh, uh, and to those who are bringing up some additional questions to the chat room, you might want to submit those by email so that we could add them to our staff. Yeah, we're going to have to. We're going to miss a lot of the stuff. That's yeah, in the chat room uh, we we can't keep up with uh, random questions that are asked in the chat room. But if you will send us an email, you can list as many questions as you want. We'll, uh, at some point in the future, try to deal with a lot and, of those kind of questions. And uh, we did have a comment uh, on topic from Paul in the chat room. He mentioned ISAV. It was mentioned in Revelation by Revelation, the Church of Laodicea. That was Revelation 3.18. Good call, Paul, uh, on on ISAV. There's, they were told to seek ISAV. Uh, again, it was a, a figure or an illustration they were in. They were having spiritual problems. They needed. A, they needed a spiritual eyesight. And Larry is back. Larry, welcome to the program. Larry can't hear us. I don't think. Larry. Yes, you, I hear you well. Okay, Larry, go ahead. Uh, w- welcome to the virtual Bible study. The question on the uh, mandrake. Oh yeah, there's a question in the chat room about the mandrake. I, I mentioned that mandrakes were one of the medicinal uh, herbs or plants that was mentioned in the Bible. Uh, right. Yeah, go ahead, Larry. Uh, currently, we call it uh, ginseng root. Oh, okay. Well, okay. And uh, you see that in a lot of the herbal uh, medications today. Yeah. Monty, you've probably hunted for ginseng, haven't you? No, I, actually, I never have hunted for ginseng. My dad used to do it a lot when they was growing up, and I've known some people that did. But it's just never worked out well, for me to be involved in even it. Even today, I want to do that. We need to do that, Monty. Even, okay. to, even today, though, Monty, there's some there, there's some money associated. I mean, it's a valuable uh, thing to find, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I understand that after you dry it out, it goes for several dollars a pound. Yeah, so it's even today. It's a it's a valued thing for medicinal purposes. Yeah, thanks, Larry. Thanks for that. I, I did not. I had never heard that. I, I've heard of the mandrakes in the Bible for a long time, but I never knew what the meaning was. Thanks for the info. Larry, Larry's must be gone. I think Larry. Okay. Right. Larry. Yeah. I think Larry may have been had a little time delay with his computer there too. That may cause you some confusion. But yeah, appreciate those comments, Larry. Uh, real quick, I want to I want to finish building my case for the. For my answer, is it a sin to take medicine or consult a doctor? And I'm arguing it's not a sin yes. that you can and, in fact, should uh, if you have need. Paul said um, uh, Paul said uh, in the chat room there that I said that's a good one. Yeah, and, and I would add to that uh, a comment that we have in, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. We've, we've talked about this passage previous times on the virtual Bible study. But Paul, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, said, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Uh, We've usually referenced that verse, Jacob, when we've talked about the question of social drinking or whether or not Christians can consume uh, wine, alcoholic wine, uh, or or other uh, alcoholic beverages. The point we typically make from 1 Timothy 5.23 is that it, what it proves is there's Timothy, a faithful first century Christian, who did not normally take wine at all. But he had stomach problems. But he had a, a physical condition, and Paul told him to take some for a medicinal benefit. So what that, what that verse proves is that you can take things, things that you wouldn't normally take, but if, if, if pre- prescribed to help a a physical ailment you're dealing with, it would be all right. Yeah. So you could use wine. I think there are better things. We have better things than wine now. Some of them would be probably wrong. It would be definitely wrong to right. use in other circumstances. For instance, the doctor might prescribe a narcotic drug to you because of a particular condition you're dealing with. Normally it would be wrong to take narcotics, but if you had a legitimate physical condition, and a reasonable prescription by an authorized person who knows what he's talking about, there couldn't be anything wrong with that, based okay. upon the, the thing that Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. One you more got point. one more I got point one on your more. list, and we've got some points here. i got one more argument. Luke was called, by Paul the apostle, Luke was called the beloved physician in Colossians 4, verse 14. Now, someone say, well, he was a physician before he became a Christian. No, he was the beloved physician, and Paul made that statement at least 10 years after we first meet Luke. We first meet Luke in Acts chapter 16, verse 10. And and Paul's reference to him as the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14 chronologically has to date at least 10 years later after he had come into Paul's working company. He, he was still identified as the beloved physician. Well, you know, uh, if you if you can be a, a, a Christian, a faithful Christian, a co-worker with the Apostle Paul, still identified as a beloved physician, surely that indicates that there's nothing wrong with being a doctor, seeing a doctor, using doctors, taking medicines, and so forth. So those are several arguments yep. that I would construct to try to answer that important question. A good good arguments, and uh, and it does help answer the question. Uh, the question that we've got in the chat room here, and one person is Express Guest Force 23 says, definitely wrong to take marijuana. Maybe we can get our listeners in the chat room to sign in on that one. What about marijuana? Could you take marijuana for medicinal purposes? Uh, Ramona in, the, uh, in her email says, no, God provided, uh, is not a sin to take medicine. God provided the medicine to the doctors for use in healing. Luke was a doctor. Surely he used medicine and also trusted in Christ. Also look at the Good Samaritan. Soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Luke 10, verse 34. Thank you, Ramona. All right. Uh, uh, our faithful correspondent Chris in Atlanta writes, As long as the medicine is necessary not taken because of an addiction, then it's okay. In 1 Timothy 5, 23, wine was used as a medicine. Some of our painkillers today contain narcotics, but as long as they are truly needed, then I see no problem taking them as prescribed. I know some people that hoard Tylenol with codeine that was prescribed to them after surgery or other painful situations. They save the leftover pills and take them later for pains that really aren't severe enough for these meds. I do have an issue with this. Other people take NyQuil, which has alcohol in it, to make them sleep. I feel feel this is an improper use. 
There are other medications you can take for insomnia. I suffer from insomnia and found a natural herb that works as good as any prescription, melatonin. I'm not trying to sell anything, but just trying to illustrate that you can sometimes find alternatives to prescription medications. And I I would agree with Chris. So often Chris is... Think his thinking uh, is right in line with what I'm thinking, and I would agree with him that you know if if you have a prescription for a specific thing, and then that condition is is alleviated, yeah. but you've got some meds that just make you feel good, and you take right. them, and, uh, that that becomes begins to become questionable. Yeah. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions Actually, in at collegeview.com. Yes, money. In the context of saving those medications, uh, most medications tell you on them somewhere in the uh, the paperwork that the pharmacist gives you that those are only for this prescribed thing and to take them and use them for other things is unlawful. So as Christians, we shouldn't be doing that because it is unlawful and we're commanded to obey the laws. Or passing them around to the people who weren't prescribed for, I believe, also yeah, is unlawful, unlawful too. as well. You've got to be careful about that. Right. All right. Okay, so I think we've got that first question down, uh, and uh, hopefully those... Those observations are helpful. Nobody chimed in on the marijuana other than guest 423. 423 says you can't justify that it would be wrong. I, I was interested. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? About well, med- you know, there is this thing marijuana. called medical marijuana. I've never studied that. I I don't know whether, whether there is. A, I don't know that there is a me- medical benefit to marijuana. I, I think it, it's very controversial at this it's point. Very, I think it's, it's just not, an excuse for people to, to use marijuana. I, well, there's no doubt about that. Yes. There's yes. no doubt that some people are using an excuse. Yes. But... Let's say that doctors determined that marijuana was, in fact, a, I mean, a legitimate doctor, not some quack in California who, who calls himself a doctor. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a doctor, man. He's a doctor, man. You know, but if you got a legitimate physician who, who discovers that marijuana is a particularly good substance to treat a, a specific uh, situation, then yeah, maybe you could. But I mean, you. you you got to be honest about this, yeah. and and I really think that the right attitude about medicines in general is that we want to be minimalist in that matter. You know, I, and, and I'm really afraid that there are some, and even some Christians, who allow themselves to just become sort of overtaken with the right. medicine right. thing. Right. Right. They want to they want to pill for everything. Right. Uh, I, I'm saying that some pills are good for some things, but that. As in many things, they can be misused, overused, and abused. And I, I think that our attitude should be: I'll take some if I have to, but I really don't want to. And t- Paul wasn't telling Timothy to get liquored up for his stomach's sake. And so some people are using that for justification. Hey, 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 the doctor told me to take this. Hey, the doctor may not be telling you the right thing. I mean, we don't. The doctor is not inspired, and what he tells you to do is not necessarily pleasing with God. So. Just because he may want to prescribe a medicine for you doesn't mean that it's right and you need to take it. Right. Exactly okay. right. All right. Moving on to our second question. We, we, we're almost to our mid-time break, uh, mid-hour break, but we'll, we'll introduce this next question. And, say, and this is one that really has become more and more of an issue, Jacob, as technology has improved. Medical technology has improved. You can keep people alive a long time that would normally die. I mean, left to the... To, yeah leaving their body to its own processes, they would have died long ago, but you can keep them alive almost indefinitely through artificial means. And so in the case of a terminal illness or a devastating injury, what measures should or must we take to prolong life? And then as a follow-up to that, is mercy killing ever justified? All right. Uh, We need to take a break, and uh, when we get back, and we do this mercy killing. What about uh, prolonging life? What is our approach to that? These are good questions. You're getting some good feedback, and so I'm looking forward to this as well. As we go on, what about not telling Grandma that uh, she's got something that's going to kill her? Yeah, and that, that sort of goes right in. Here we get, and so we, we'll put those those three things together. Uh, should you pro, should you use all available means to prolong life in in terminal situations? Is mercy killing ever justified? And then the the third question along that line, can we withhold uh, – Granny is going to die, mm-hmm. but we don't want to tell her. We're going to yeah. kind of keep that from her. Should we do that? All right. Lance uh, in the chat room says, I still say God gave us wisdom. No more bloodletting and early medical things like that. He meant for us to have the things that would improve our lives and keep us well. Think about reduced infant mortality. And uh, I think we could conclude that uh, – 
the medical progress that we've oh, made we're, is, we're, uh, we are, is we're, a benefit. We're, we are really benefited by all of this. I it's mean, a blessing. Uh, and, you know, the very fact that life, our life expectancy is prolonged by virtue of these advances. All right. So, and good. along these lines, guest 423 has posed this question. Is it mercy killing if you tell the medical staff not to resuscitate the relative? The do not resuscitate rule. That's what we want to talk about. All right. So should we, must we take those steps to artificially prolong life? Okay. Is it wrong not to resuscitate? Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In the book called The Father Book, an instruction manual, child psychiatrists Brian Newman, Paul Warren, and Frank Minrith stress the importance of the father's role in successful families. Here are some quotes. Quote, 80% or more of the issues we have to work through are kid and parent issues. Quote, by far, most of the kids I see don't need a therapist as much as they need a dad. Quote, the men with the healthiest attitudes were loved and nurtured by a father. They supply these statistics from the American Academy of Child Psychiatry. Among boys 12 to 17 years old, 8.8% got in trouble with the police when fathers were present in the home. 16.6% got in trouble when there was no father in the home. For girls, the percentages were 1.2 and 1.8% respectively. Trouble at school followed the same trend. 4.4% for fathered boys, 9.9% for fatherless boys, 1.2% for fathered girls, 3.8% for fatherless girls. Dr. Warren says, quote, In most of the families I see who are going through difficult times, the father is not in his place leading the family and dealing with the problem. Leading is being involved in the family, in the problem, and in the solutions. While the experiences and reports of these men may alert us to the importance of the role of fathers, the points they make should not be surprising to those who have read their Bibles. Fathers have an awesome responsibility in regard to their children. Take it seriously. Don't let your job, your recreation, or your other responsibilities crowd your children out of your life. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and find out more about us by worshiping with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, 10.30, 6 o'clock and uh, a Sunday evening, and then Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We'd love to have you come and be a part of our worship. Or if you're not in the Columbia, Tennessee area, find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about medical ethics on the program tonight. And is it okay in the case of terminal illness or devastating injuries uh, to sign the do not uh, resuscitate uh, uh, instructions uh, to not prolong life or must we prolong life is mercy killing ever justified well uh let's let's start out with with the question about prolonging life in other words we've got a situation where someone is is very seriously ill uh or maybe somebody who's been desperately injured in a in an automobile or accident or something like that and and the doctors say the person is brain dead in other words, we're not getting any. We're not being able to measure any brain activity. They're still breathing, or right. we're or, or 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 we're able to keep them still breathing. We got them on this uh, a tube ventilator, yeah. and and we, we we can we can force them. We can keep forcing the air in there. We we can keep them alive like this, but we can keep the we can keep the heart pumping. We can keep the blood circulating. Right. But there's no brain activity, or something like that. Those are the kind of situations we're asking about. Man. We would all pray that we would never be put into that situation, but there's a possible, there's I, I think a reasonable probability that some of us at some point or another will have to make decisions like that. Okay. And the question is, we want to make the right decision based upon information that we can get from the Word of God. What should we do? Let us know your thoughts. Chime in tonight. The best way for your voice to be heard is on the phone. At toll free eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. I think I think it's pretty obvious that the Bible is not going to give us an explicit answer to that question. Okay. In other words, the Bible is not going to say, "Thou shalt keep the the 
the uh, heart lung machine running. You cannot turn off the switch. Uh, you know, yeah. It's not, it's not going to say things like that, but it does contain principles that will help us make the decision. The first principle is sort of the, 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 the dignity of and respect for human life. Uh, I think the Bible teaches that throughout. I mean, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, after the flood, one of the things that God told Noah uh, was, you know, the respect of human life. He said in Genesis 9, verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. In other words, you don't get, you don't get penalized for killing an animal. You get penalized for killing a man because man was made in the image of God. We've there's got a, to remember. Human life, there's a, there's yeah. a value it's, in it. It's, it's sacred. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, again, we've got to have that respect for human life. In fact, that's going to go to the, the answer to the second part of the question about mercy killing or euthanasia, Jacob. Okay. Yeah, right. we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more okay. about it. Okay. Uh, but certainly we understand that there is a time to die. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed a man once to die and after this judgment. In other words, everybody's going to die. Everybody in this physical world is going to die unless, of course, we're among those who are still living when the Lord returns. Mm-hmm. But typically, and it has been true now for thousands of years, and, and unless the Lord returns in his lifetime, it will be true for us too. There, there will come become a time when we must die. So we've got to sort of balance those two concepts. Mm-hmm. It's understood that people die. Right. It's also a, a biblical truth that we should respect human life. So those two things have to be factored together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, what are you going to do? The, the, maybe the situation is the doctor has diagnosed you with terminal cancer. And he says, we got this chemotherapy thing. It's uh, somewhat experimental. Mm-hmm. We can't guarantee results, but we think. That if you were to take this chemotherapy, we can say you'll probably live another year. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be sick as a horse. I mean, it's going to make you feel like you wish you were dead. Mm. But, but we can keep you alive for a year. Mm-hmm. Well, Doc, what if I don't take the chemotherapy? Well, you're going to die in three months. Right. And I won't now, make as much money. Now, if if you think about that, first thing you got to the first thing you got to say is the doctors are 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 sort of taking random shots in the dark there. Yeah. When they when they say you'll you'll live a year with the chemo, you'll live three months without the chemo. Right. Uh, they're taking some pretty wide swings at it there. I mean, they don't know that for sure. So you got to factor that in. You got to. I think you would have to. You just use some common sense and factor in. Uh, if it's a proven treatment regimen. And they have been having great success with it. And the doctor says, we're, we're almost 100% sure that we can we can put this thing in remission and you'll live for several more years. Then I think your your response to that would be, well, that seems like the right thing to do. But if he says it's only going to give you two more months, in other words, you're going to live three months without it and five months with it, and, and during the five months that you're taking it, you're going to be incredibly sick, I think it would be would be reasonable to say, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem like that would be worth doing. Uh there be a lot of factors. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I don't see anything in the Bible that says that we have to prolong suffering. You know, uh, no, no words. I, I don't think that we we're going to go to the second question about mercy killing. I, I think that mercy killing is not justified. But I don't know anything that says that we're obligated to prolong uh, unsolvable suffering. No, and I think I think we have to call into check our attitude about this life a lot of times in these situations and it's a difficult question a difficult issue but second corinthians chapter five and paul's attitude about he wasn't trying to stay here in this earth as long as he possibly could no. I mean, he wasn't looking for machinery that could keep him alive for the next 150 years he was looking forward to that day in which this life would be over yeah. and uh I think we've got to sort of weigh our priorities, maybe. Right. If we're prepared to meet God, and if we if we've served Him faithfully and have that great hope of heaven and eternity, then death is not a thing to be dreaded or feared. And if it if it's if it's an extreme effort to to artificially prolong life, and there's no quality to that life, then I I can't see any biblical principle that says that we would be obligated to do so. Yeah. Okay. Now, Bonnie, any thoughts? Bonnie, on that? I think you were. 
you had some things going there. Well, one thing. You had I, some brain activity. Uh, it's a rare occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He's. You said he was brain dead, Jacob, but he's actually not. He's oh, thinking well, of well, it. Well, he came back. Okay. Well, one thing I think of as far as not wanting to die or whatnot, like Greg was just talking about, I believe that, you know, if we're living like we should be and we're following what the Bible tells us, we, we have a reasonable certainty of what our outcome is going to be in the next life because God's going to keep his promises to us. So there's a lot worse things can happen to us than dying. But at the same time, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was betrayed and arrested and That's tortured, true. he asked if that could... It, was specifically, I guess, that brutal death that he knew he was fixing to undergo if that cup could pass from him. So Jesus, even though he knew he was a sinless individual yeah. uh, and the Son of God, he absolutely knew where he was going when he died. It doesn't seem to me that he was just itching and scratching to die to get there. That's true. And Paul determined that it was better to stay alive than to die for the other people For the people benefit of him. other people. Yeah, so yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of things to weigh, and that's a good point. All right. Let's real quick, Jacob, let's fold in this other question about mercy killing. My, my, my dear loved one is very sick with cancer, say, and yeah. suffering tremendously. Right. And so this, this loved one has asked me, and I'm willing to do it, to give a lethal injection of drugs to end the suffering. Oh, Dr. Kevorkian. Dr. Kevorkian was the one who was famous for doing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there's a difference between allowing natural processes to take their course. Right. In other words, I, I, I decide against taking the, the chemo. It's only going to prolong my life for two extra months, and it's very very experimental, and uh, probably quality of life would be horrible. And I mean, I, uh, so I'm just going to let the cancer take its course and, and die. Yeah. Versus either I or, or someone I asked to do it is going to administer drugs to produce an instantaneous death. There's a difference between allowing death to occur and actually causing death to occur. Yeah. And I think you'd have to argue that euthanasia or mercy killing is murder. It is the taking of life. Now, it may be a person who's going to die pretty soon anyway, yeah. but the fact of the matter is you're causing that person to die. Right. And I don't see anything in the Bible that would let you skirt around the fact that Taking life, going all the way back to where we read in Genesis chapter yeah, nine verse six, yeah, is yeah. condemned. Yeah, right, right. I mean, we'd understand that in the, in wildlife, money. I mean, if there was a deer in your yard and you shot it, and it wasn't se- a hunting season, the, the warden would come and you know get off onto you. You said, "Well, the, the deer was probably going to run out in traffic and get run over." It, you still poached, and the same thing would be true for mercy killing. But I'm. I can't actually quote the law, but there's probably an exception to that because I know one time I came upon a deer that had been hit by a car. Okay. And right. it was obviously, it had broke legs and okay. as so I maybe felt of it, there was, broke, there was broke ribs on it. And I had no reasonable expectation that deer was going to recover. I hated to see it suffer, so I put it out of its misery. Uh, I'm hoping that's not wrong. I didn't think it was at the time. Well, maybe my maybe my parallel doesn't work out but, very but, well there's a difference between animal life and human life that's yeah. true there's the that's other thing killing yeah. a, an animal yeah. is not murder yeah uh the circumstances may be illegal or legal depending on what laws have been established concerning it but but to take a human life uh unnecessarily the bible i believe provides for self-defense we know the new testament provides for capital punishment so there are circumstances when you, human life can be taken legitimately uh but the, Jesus said he'd given that sword to the government, so for the most part, that's how that has to be done. But for me to just decide, well, I don't think you're going to get better, and I know you're suffering a lot, I'm just going to go ahead and put you out of your misery in some way or another, I, I just have to believe that that's murder. That's not a lawful activity, and I, I just don't think that's acceptable. 423 wants to know if you put the deer in your refrigerator. Not that particular one. Okay. <laughs> uh, I I have been known to harvest Roadkill. I have too. <laughs> but, but I. Well, now. <laughs> the law in Tennessee allows for that now, too. It, it just because it allows for it doesn't mean it's a good idea. Uh, okay. So, uh, first two things. We said it's not wrong to allow natural processes to proceed to death. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're not, we're not obligated to go to outrageous extremes to prolong life. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think it's obvious we would take some measures if the doctors advised that it was a, a reasonably good measure of success, then we would take some measures. But I don't think we can say we're obligated to take all and every extreme measure to prolong life. But second thing, 
I think we can say clearly, mercy killing no, or euthanasia is wrong. That's causing death, not allowing death, but causing death. Okay. Finally, before we get to our break, Jacob, let's ask this question. Should we keep from a loved one? In other words, they've been diagnosed with a terminal condition, but we don't want to tell them so. Yeah. I think that's a big mistake. Yeah. First of all, it's obviously going to be wrong to lie. You can't lie about it. There's, yes. there's no There's no justification for lying under any circumstances. You can't say, well, because... My dear loved one is so sick, I'm going to lie to him and tell him it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. You can't lie. And they're going to want to know. They're going to ask you. Right. So you're going to lie to them? Yeah. First of all, you can't lie. Secondly, you know, there, w- there would be some benefit to knowing that your time was limited. Uh, you know, think of, think of a person. You, he's got two months to live. Well, he's got two months to get his house in order, to really make sure that he's right with his God and that everything is, is in, you know, been dealt yeah. with as it should be, it would be a blessing to know that information instead of having it withheld from me. In other words, if they'd have told me two months ago, I could have been busy taking care of a lot of necessary things and even necessary spiritual things, but they withheld that information for me and I wasn't able to move forward. Okay. All right. We got some emails. All right, we do. Ramona says, mercy killing is never justified. We should never put ourselves on the same level as God. What if you performed a mercy killing? And the next day, there was a cure that could have been used. Human life is a gift from God, Acts 17, verse 25, and no person has the right to destroy that life. Terminal illness, a person should be allowed to die with dignity. God is taking charge, Second Corinthians 5, verse 8, but suicide is never an option. Chris in Atlanta says, we should take, care, we should take whatever measures needed to prolong life as long as, it's, as there's life in the body. In cases of brain dead, then I personally see no need to prolong life. At that point, machines are just keeping the vital organs going, but life has left the body. I have instructed my wife that if there's the tiniest chance I could survive, then she better not pull that plug. In fact, I want her to roll in some backup generators in case the hospital loses power. Give me a fighting (laughs) chance. Life is precious. I cannot see any authorization in Scripture for mercy killing. I worked for a funeral home for several years and picked up several people that had terminal illnesses, and they decided to end their own life because of pain or before the pain got worse. As a firsthand witness, this is a very selfish thing to do. I do not even... Not even to mention making a loved one walk in and find you after a suicide. All suicides I dealt with were devastating to the family. Again, if you are in your right mind, then it is the most selfish act you could ever do against your loved one. Okay, so you, he, he took the suicide aspect of that for the mercy killing, do, right. doing it yourself. Yeah, right. Okay. okay. Uh, on to the question about withholding love illness information from a loved one about terminal illness. Ramona says he has the right to know to make arrangements for himself and for others. Plus, there are spiritual decisions. No person should be derived, uh, deprived. Uh, deprived of that opportunity to surrender to God. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Not telling the person would render you to be the miserable comforter. Job 16, verse 2. The dying deserve honesty. Thank All you, right. Ramona. And Chris says, except in very rare and unique circumstances, I don't believe it would be right to withhold this type of information from a loved one. If you are the one delivering that news, it should be done with extreme love and compassion. It would also be the family members and church brethren's duty to take care of and support this person during this horrible ordeal. Okay. Well, right. and, and you mentioned withholding as in maybe lying, but what about, uh, so you're asking about just withholding in general, not, not telling what you know. Yeah, and I, I think that would be a mistake in most all circumstances. Okay. But you couldn't maybe make a, as blanket a, dis, a statement about that as you yeah, could about lying. Exactly. Okay. All right. We're going to go to the break, and then we've got an interesting question on the I other think side. maybe the one that I, I think is maybe most important to us uh, is the question of, is it proper for doctors, nurses, and caregivers to see one's nakedness? I mean, that, I think we've sort of taken for granted that, yes, it is okay, but have we stopped to see if we could justify that from the Scriptures? Sorry about that. All right, don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem much more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach the truth? Does it seem the sermons you are hearing each week could have easily be given at a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin and at the end of the sermon you knew by book, chapter, and verse what the preacher was talking about and why? The Cosview Church is still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. They invite you to investigate for yourself. Come and see. Visit the Cosview Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Depression and negative emotions are less common among very religious Americans than among the non-religious. 
15.6% of American adults who say religion is an important part of daily life and who attend a religious service at least every week have been diagnosed with depression in their lifetime, while 18.7% of non-religious Americans have been thus diagnosed. Among moderately religious adults, 20.4% report having been diagnosed with depression. Overall, very religious Americans are less likely to report experiencing daily negative emotions of worry, stress, sadness, and anger compared to their moderately religious and non-religious counterparts. All that data is via the Gallup poll. The Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back, and quickly before we leave this mercy-killing discussion, uh, Lance in the chat room says that, uh, let's see here, he says, I just don't see that as murder, this idea of mercy killing. We aren't supposed to commit murder. That, to me, says there's some malice involved. God even made provision for our misguided anger about accidental killings by creating a town for the accused to run to. That is mercy for killing. The commandment is not to murder, often misquoted. Well, God still had a penalty for accidental killings. And so that shows that there's some sanctity to life, that He did, even if you were still responsible for an accidental killing. So... I think that uh, that God would uh, hold us accountable for what we would consider a mercy killing as well. All right. Uh, and now, on to your question. All right. Uh, what about doctors, nurses, other caregivers seeing one's nakedness? Okay. Is it appropriate, right? Is it authorized? Uh, guest 423 in the chat room says, Husbands should not let a doctor see his wife's nakedness. Too many husbands don't acknowledge this as being wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it goes on uh, and says, just to, because a man puts on a lab coat does not stop him from being a man. And remember, these are mostly worldly men. What do you think goes to their minds? Okay. All right. I, I would ask, as a follow-up to those statements, 423, I would ask, can the doctor see your, can a male doctor see your nakedness? In other words, uh, in other words there's, something, there's something implied in, in the comment that I don't think you can necessarily prove. In other words, it's wrong for a male doctor to see a female patient's nakedness. Where's Where's the Bible say it'd be right for a male doctor to see a man's nakedness? The prohibitions about exposing our nakedness are to anyone. Okay. In other words, it's it's not necess- It's not a given. I don't think it's necessarily established in the Scripture that it's okay for a man to see another man's nakedness or for a woman to see another woman's nakedness. It just says we're not supposed to expose our nakedness. Okay. So uh, uh, that that's. I would ask that as a follow-up. But I actually take the opposite side on that question. Okay. I think we go back to 1 Timothy 5.23. Drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake and then often infirmities, Paul told Timothy. He was saying, for necessities' sake, physical necessity's sake, some things that are normally prohibited may be allowed. Mm-hmm. Med- some things medically necessary that that would be elsewise prohibited may be allowed. Uh, And so in that, I would use that justification to say, if there's a medical necessity, Mm -hmm. then it may be allowed. And now all the the rules about lust and lasciviousness and so forth would still still be in place. In other words, all measures should be taken to prevent that uh, from happening. And... uh, in, in, in some cases, are there doctors who've lusted after female patients that they've treated? Uh, yeah. I mean, it'd be, I think it'd be foolish to say otherwise. But I don't think that's a given. I don't think that's necessarily the case in all instances. Okay. All right. Um, take it a, make it a little more practical. First Timothy 5, verse 8 says, If any provides not for his own, he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. In the context of that, it was talking about nephews and nieces caring for their aged relatives. Well, here's a, here's a nephew who's got a widowed aunt. That's the context of 1 Timothy 5. And she has to be provided for. She has met medical necessities. She's, she's infirm. She's bedridden. And he's charged with caring for her. 
can he see her nakedness as as an unavoidable part of the process of caring for her? If he doesn't care for her, he's worse than an infidel. Now, somebody could say, well, he could hire someone to do it, maybe. And I, I think that might be possible. But in some instances, it might not be possible. Take, go to the other end of the spectrum. Jacob, you've got a, 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 an infant daughter. Yes. Is, is it right for you to see her nakedness? I've well, determined that it's not, therefore my wife has to change, has all, the to change all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a conscience thing. You know, I've, got a, I've got a moral dilemma. So. Uh, and, and so I'm saying that, that, that in regards to physical care in certain circumstances, that, it, that the prohibition on exposing nakedness do not apply. Right. Certainly all rules of the scripture concerning lust and lasciviousness and so forth are always in place. Right. Uh, but I, I would argue that in some instances it's not wrong. I mean, no no child ever wants to see their parents' nakedness, but mm-hmm. it may come to that. I mean, I, I remember some instances where I had to perform some of those kind of services for my father when he was mm-hmm. uh, infirm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was certainly not desirable. Nobody wants that. He didn't want that. We mm-hmm. didn't want that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you helped as well, Jacob, in mm-hmm. some of those instances. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to do that, but... I think it would come under the heading of providing for your own as necessary things. All right, Monty. Well, I was thinking about in the time when the Israelites were still in captivity in Egypt, uh, there was a reference to the midwives perform, performing the services of a midwife. Uh, apparently, in God's people at that time, that was an accepted thing, or I would even say a necessary thing, for a woman to have assistance in childbirth, and there was no condemnation for them. Uh, even implied that it was wrong for these midwives to to do this and, and see this woman's nakedness in the process of performing that service. I can't really think of any New Testament examples right offhand that would that would be that specific. Maybe that's a good that's a good one. Now, guest four twenty three says we need to stay away from the extremes and look at what is going on on a daily basis. Women going to a male doctor for routine exams, etc. Not talking about special surgeries, etc. Uh, we have to use wise judgments. I think so, that's right. I th- uh, yeah, why, why, why potentially put a male doctor or a female doctor in a position of temptation if you there, can avoid some, it? There's some judgment there. Yeah, there's some judgment. But I think 423, your statement there, if, if it's wrong, it's always wrong, even in cases of special surgeries. In other words, so I, I don't think we can make a, a blanket statement on that. Okay, right. Uh, guest 423 says, I think we need to look at situations that can be avoided. Yeah, if it can be avoided, I'm for avoiding it. All right. Good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul Adams says he, he has seen nakedness while visiting in the hospital and wished that he hadn't. <laughs> I agree. You know, those gowns that, that they wear in the hospitals are horrible. Yeah. You know, and, and you see things that you shouldn't see. Yeah. Uh, he says, on a serious note, I try to preserve folks' dignity even when they aren't able to know what's going on. I agree, Paul. Exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, Chris in Atlanta says, I do think it's proper for nurses, doctors, caregivers to see one's nakedness. We see in Luke 10, verses 29 and following, where the man that was beaten and stripped, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan stopped and bound his wounds, administered medicine to this naked man. He instructed the innkeeper to give the man whatever was needed. Oh, well, well, there's an I think, and I, I, this, I, I'm glad that Chris has brought that up, because I think there in Luke 10, it actually says he was beaten and naked. See, how does it, how does yeah, it describe him? Left him beaten and naked, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah. They stripped him of his raiment, wounding him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So he was stripped of his clothes. So the Good Samaritan says, sorry, you're naked. I can't help you because it's not right for me to look at you. Right. No, he went to him. Interesting, interesting uh, observations. Monty, anything before we conclude? Uh, Not really. Uh, We had one question we didn't really get to about the do not resuscitate thing. As far as that goes, would that be considered mercy killing? And to me, by the definition of the words uh, resuscitate, something's already happened. This person's already, their heart stopped beating or they're quit breathing. They're technically dead. So I'm not killing them. I'm just not reviving them, I guess, would be the way I would look at that. And that's a natural process. You're letting a natural natural process. process. We're letting this process continue. And uh, Dave sent in an email we we overlooked it. Uh, Dave says, if one is tired of the constant need for measures just to keep him alive, is it a sin just to refuse more treatment knowing he'll die without it? Would it it be considered uh, suicide? And Dave has a... uh, uh, a relation to Christian that he knows who is going through this issue at this very instance. So uh, again, I, I, I don't, that th- question, I, I don't yeah. think that's the same. That's not the same as suicide. There's a difference between allowing 
a natural process to occur versus causing death to occur. One's allowing death to proceed. The other's causing death to come. There's a difference. I don't think, in other words, if I said, I've been taking this chemotherapy for the last six months. I'm horribly sick. It's not working. I'm going to stop it. The doctor says I'm going to die, but I'm going to stop this because it's, it's of no, it's not producing any legitimate benefit. I'm going to stop it. That's not suicide. Putting a gun to my head and said I've been taking this stuff for six months and I feel terrible and I'm ending it right here now with the, you know that's there those are two different things. Right. Okay. All right. Well, good discussion. Good uh, things to think about. Um, you know, it's uh, lots of uh, questions that, as Paul mentioned, our uh, medical technology has caused us to have to, to discuss. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for the thanks, time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you, Monty, for being here on the on the controls. Thanks for Good having me. Good job. And thank you for being on the other end of the line. If you have any questions or comments about anything you heard on the program, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study, we encourage you to comment, contact us anytime at questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.